And I want to turn your attention to the letter of 1 Peter this morning in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. A couple weeks ago, we started off in this letter and we addressed the first several verses in the letter. But here, beginning at verse 13, the tone of the letter changes. The first part of this chapter is more factual. It's presenting the reality of what God is doing in us and what we can expect. But then at verse 13, there's a, the Paul really, or Peter really starts to get down to business, and the tone of the letter changes. And you'll see in this passage and in the passages to come in the letter that there's a lot of commands. You might call them imperatives, directives. There's a lot of those. The apostle starts giving us commands for how to live faithfully in a world that is not at peace with our values. The apostle Peter was living in such a world. We are living in such a world. And that makes this letter very relevant to us today. And so while some of it may seem a little foreign and some of the words and some of the concepts may have, we may, we may have to do a little bit of heavy lifting this morning. I promise you that there are a few places in the New Testament as relevant for the day that we're living in than what the Apostle Peter is writing about in 1 Peter. Let's read the word of the Lord together. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 in the New King James Version says this, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Isn't that a wonderful turn of phrase? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you by, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality, without any favoritism, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here, that is to say, your exile, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your exile in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God's always had a plan. But he was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I want to minister from that passage for a little while this Sunday morning, and I want to tell us what the Word of God says about positioning ourselves. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, position yourself. Position yourself. You may be seated. There was someone who once remarked and said that for someone to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the days like we're living in today... You have to be able at times to call upon adequate internal resources. That's what he called it, adequate internal resources. That means that there has to be something taking place on the inside of you that is able to be drawn upon whenever you're facing trial and tribulation. Let me put it another way today. 
if the only encounter you have with God comes from secondhand experiences that someone else has. You will not have the adequate internal resources necessary to live for God faithfully in a world that is hostile to your value system. You can profess, you can profess to believe all kinds of things. You can profess to have certain values. But brothers and sisters, if you do not have something that God is working on the inside of you, that you can draw upon when the adversary starts wreaking havoc in your life, you won't make it. You simply won't make it. Because the way God designed us spiritually was not so that we go throughout the course of our entire spiritual life being spoon-fed. Living off of the second-hand experiences of somebody else. But the plan of God for each and every one of us is that He wants to do a work inside of you. He wants to do a work inside of you that's going to generate a new life. God's wanting to bring you to new life, and it's not going to happen secondhand. It's going to happen because you are in a personal, one-on-one relationship with Him. You have a personal devotion. You have a prayer time. You're spending time in the Word of God, and it's, gen- it's doing something inside of you that's giving you the internal resources that when you face spiritual opposition, you're able to make it. 1 Peter chapter 1 Starting at verse 13 and going all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, tells us something about how we interact with God, how we conduct ourselves with God, how we conduct ourselves with other believers, and even how we conduct ourselves collectively as a body of believers. And Paul, this is valuable. I don't know how valuable you feel like this kind of material is. But I just imagine that the Apostle Peter dropped a letter in the mailbox and we got it out at the street, out of the mailbox this morning. And now here we've got the Apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost writing to us about the days that we're living in today. I for one feel like that's very valuable. And he's telling us, he's giving us commands. I I like it that he's he's not talking in the abstract, but he's giving us commands. He's giving us directives. He's telling us what we ought to do. And he tells us how we, what we ought to do t- in order to conduct ourselves with God, what we ought to do to conduct ourselves with one another, and what we ought to do to conduct ourselves corporately as an entire body in the days that we're living in today. Very valuable. In this passage, it tells us how we conduct ourselves with God. And there's lots of verbs. If you've still got your Bible open, you can see it. There's a lot of verbs. There's a lot of directives. And there's a whole lot going on. I was talking to Brother Lewis before service began. I was telling him, I said it a minute ago, it's heavy lifting. It took me longer than usual to sort through everything that Peter is presenting in this passage. Because I'll be honest with you. If I can just have an honest moment as a preacher this morning, it's very easy to read a passage like that. And to see that part, you may have noticed where Peter quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus. Be holy, for I am holy. Very easy to fixate on that and to just take that and run with it and not really address anything else that he's talking about. It, took some, it takes heavy lifting to kind of sort through some of this thing, but it's very, very valuable today. And there's a lot of verbs and there's a lot of things going on, but there's three primary ones that I want to draw your attention to this morning that I think is going to help us understand and then respond to the Word of God. The first is that 
we need to acknowledge that the chief imperative, the number one thing that we need to see going on in that passage that we read together is where the word of God tells us to be holy in all of our conduct. Why? Because God is holy. And we need to understand something about God's holiness. Sometimes we, we throw around the word holy or holiness and we don't really properly address the source of holiness and who is truly holy. God's holiness is one of his attributes that you absolutely must understand about him or else you won't know who he is at all. To be holy is to be separate, to be other. I explained it to my children last night at bedtime like this because I was trying to, I was trying to work my way about how to explain the holiness of God. If we think about something like love, I'm just picking that. There's all kinds of attributes. But if we think about something like love as an attribute of God and as an attribute that we can, we can have, and we think about the love of God, in our human finite mind, we will imagine the love of God, if there is a scale of love, we would imagine the love of God to be, Sister Mona, at the very top of that scale. The very top of that scale. But we'd be wrong. Because God in his holiness, he's separate. He's off the scale. We, can't per, we, we can know that God has love and that God is love and that God loves us. But we can't, we can't if we, even if we put God in the very tip top of that scale, we're still putting God in a box. We're putting God within the box of our finite human way of rationalizing and understanding things. God's holiness, that God is holy means that he's off the charts. He's off the charts in every attribute. He's off the charts in love. He's off the charts in judgment and justice. He's off the charts in righteousness. That's why whenever we try to compare our righteousness to God's righteousness, it's not, Brother Joe, that my righteousness is all the way down here at the bottom of the scale, and God's righteousness is all the way up here at the very tip top of the scale. It's not that. It's that my righteousness is way down here on the bottom of the scale, and God's righteousness is such that it's completely off the charts. We can't, even, we can't even measure it. We don't even have a way of really talking about it in ways that our finite human minds can understand. That is the holiness of God. God's not like you and me. He's not like you and me. We have to use human vocabulary to start to paint a picture and to start just to start to understand who he is and what he's like. But he's not like us. He's not like us at all. Holy means cut off or separate. He's in a different category all by himself. And for that reason, holiness is strange to us. We live in a world that is broken by sin, and holiness is strange. It's foreign to us. When we come into contact with the holy, it's the exception. It's something that stands out to us because it's not what we're usually in contact with. And so when there was a holy moment with God, we, we recognize immediately in our, in our broken spiritual condition, even as we are, that we are in the presence of a holy God. It's not familiar, and it's not casual or mundane or ordinary. It's special. It's sacred. It's holy. There's three main imperatives in this passage that we read this morning. 
means there's three main commands and everything else branches off of that. And the chief one, the top one, is there in verse, I think, 15. And it's be holy. It's the central one. It's the one that all the others branch off from. But I want to tell you today that being holy takes work. Being holy takes being intentional. It doesn't happen on accident. We don't drift into holiness. We don't, we don't stumble into being pleasing to God. Holiness and living in holiness, to be holy as God is holy, means that you have to position yourself. And there's two ways, there's two guardrails, there's two safeguards on either side of holiness that will help you be holy and position yourself. Why is it, Brother Dustin, why is it important to be holy? And what, did, what in the world, we've been talking about Babylon, we've been talking about the world that we live in today. Where in the, why in the world does holiness matter in the middle of all of that? And let me clarify it for you and tell you. The trials and the tribulations and the afflictions of this life, they will either do one of two things. They will either refine you or destroy you. What makes the difference is how you're positioned. And the Apostle Peter in the Holy Ghost has written to the church and to us and explained to us a way that you can position yourself that no matter how hot the furnace gets, no matter how deep the pit of lions they toss you in, no matter what the trial or the affliction or the tribulation, no matter how much is going in your, on in your world that you don't have answers for and you don't understand why it's happening, the Apostle Peter has given us in the Holy Ghost an answer for how you can position yourself so that the pressures of this world that we live in aren't going to destroy you, but they'll refine you and you'll come out like pure gold. Anybody interested in something like that? He says, be holy. Be holy. What are the other two things that the Apostle Peter says that help us be holy, that help us safeguard our holiness? I want to talk about the first one. The first one is hope. Hope. It's in verse 13. You know that turn of phrase that we kind of chuckled at a minute ago? In the New King James and the King James, it's gird up the loins of your mind. Do you know what that means? That's the way it was literally written. We don't really, unless you understand the type of clothes that they wore back then, it really didn't make a lot of sense. The way that they used to dress back then is the men and the women, they would wear, they would wear robes. And men had one type and women had another, and they were distinguished according to the genders and all that kind of stuff. But they didn't, they didn't wear exactly the same kind of clothes as we do. And they had these robes, and these robes made it difficult to... Uh, do strenuous activity. You couldn't really take off running real easy. And so when they would gird up their robes so that they could run or climb or whatever, they would pull their robe and tuck it into their belt. And it would free them to where they would be able to climb and run and and work and do strenuous activity for a time. And then when they were done, they would undo it and they would go back to normal. And so the Apostle Paul's drawing on that and telling us, the church, that if we're going to position ourselves, it's going to take work. The equivalent, the equivalent would be him saying, roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. Did anyone have to roll up their sleeves this week? 
yeah, rolled up your sleeves this week. He said, roll up your sleeves, put your work gloves on, and get ready to work. Because we're going to position ourselves so that Babylon doesn't consume us. So that this world doesn't consume us. You know what? Worldliness is anything that makes sin look normal and holiness look weird. It's very easy to get drawn in to worldliness. And it normalizes sinful thinking and sinful behavior. And the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Peter says, conduct yourself in all of your conduct in a way that's holy. And the first safeguard of it that he says is hope. Hope. He says, rest your hope fully on the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We have to be sober-minded, it says. Gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up the sleeves of your mind. You have to be serious-minded about this. Hear me this morning. Don't take this as me coming down the mountain and, and, and being harsh. But a casual relationship with God is not going to cut it. It never has. But it's especially not going to in this day and age. You're going to have to have a made-up mind. You're going to have to roll up the sleeves of your mind and be serious-minded about pursuing the things of God. You can't allow your mind to be compromised. You have to be very careful about what you're allowing into your mind. And living in hope, he says to rest your hope. Living in hope requires that your mind be right. Because hope looks forward. Hope is about expectation. It's about what you are putting, what basket are you putting all your eggs in. And if your mind is not right, you'll direct your hope in the wrong category, the wrong direction. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. He wrote to the Corinthians, and he says, we have the mind of Christ. God's word will shape your thinking unlike anything else. We need to be in the Word of God every day. You need to be in the Word of God every day. Can I help someone right now? You can listen to the Word of God. It still counts. You can read the Word of God. You can have the Word of God read to you. You can read it back and forth to one another. Whatever you need to do, we, you need to be in the Word of God every single day. Because the word of God will shape your thinking and help your mind get right and stay right unlike anything else. We must be very careful about what we allow into our minds. We have to fall in love with the apostles' doctrine. I'm going to quote a scripture to you and then I'm going to say that again and I think that I'll have more agreement. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
is talking about the Antichrist. And it says this, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. And who is he going to deceive and who is going to perish? Those who refused to love the truth. We have to fall in love with the word of God. I said we have to fall in love with the word of God. Not in word only, but in action. You must be in the word of God every day for yourself. And have a love for the truth of God's word. And if you will do that, it will allow you to do what the apostle said. You'll be able to, you'll be resting your hope on heaven and not the things of this earth. Hope is not about rejecting falsehood. Hope is about embracing and loving the truth of God's word above everything else. That's the first safeguard so that you can get in position. Then the Apostle Paul, in verses 14, 15, 16, he starts to talk about holiness again. He says, be holy in all of your conduct. I want you to remember what holiness means. Holiness means separate. And he says that word, Brother Joe, you emphasized it out of Romans chapter 8 earlier, all your conduct. All your conduct. Here's one of our apostolic elders said one time, and I wrote it down, I want to share it with you. When, when the apostle says to be holy in all of your conduct, he said this, it needs to be all of your heart, that's all of your affectional nature. All of your soul, that's your volitional nature. All of your strength, that's your physical prowess. All of everything, all your physical powers and faculties, you have to be holy in that. All of your mind, that's all of your rational powers and all of your intellect. And then he says, this is what Jesus said. Let me read from Luke chapter 10. Jesus is in a crowd and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of the law? And the lawyer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he added this other one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's five things. And Jesus said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. We have to be holy in every category of our life. Far be it from us to look at one category of our life and say that's what holiness is. Holiness is about more, it, it definitely includes how you dress and how you present yourself. But brothers and sisters, that is simply one category of holiness. Jesus said that holiness encompasses your heart, what you love, your soul, what you choose, your mind, what your intellect and your rational powers give you, everything of your strength, that's your physical body. And then he adds a fifth one on there. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is your social nature. 
It's, your holiness is about all of your conduct. And the Apostle Peter writes to us today in the world that we live in, being attacked from every angle, and says, you cannot give a single bit of ground to the adversary in this day. You can't be content to be holy over here, but to be worldly over here. Because the adversary will find a way into your life and he will start the trials and the tribulations of this world. Instead of refining you, they will start to destroy you. The apostle Peter is saying, position yourself. Save yourself from this untoward generation. It's one way, one thing we can do is we can pray about it. We can say, God, I want to be holy. Have you ever prayed that? It's about 10%. Have you ever prayed that? God, I want to be holy. God, I'm listening to your spirit. Maybe we could do that right now. Let's lift up our hands all across this room right now. God, I want to be holy and I want to listen to your spirit. Oh, God, teach me. Teach me how to be holy like you. God, shape my heart. Lord, I want an appetite in my mind for holiness. God, I want you to, someone pray like this right now. God, I want you to reveal any unholy habits I have. Any kind of things that are not pleasing to you, oh God. Lord, anything that's crept into a category of my life, my heart, my soul, my strength. God, my interactions with others, no matter what it is, God. I want to root those things out and I want to be holy. Unto you, O oh God. Oh, God. Come on, God's looking for a holy people right now. He's hearing this. The Holy Ghost is here right now. He's looking for a holy people. He's looking for a holy people. He's looking for a people that are positioned, that are prepared. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then keep my commandments. As a final part of positioning ourselves, the Apostle Peter in the wisdom of the Holy Ghost doesn't just present us with forward-thinking hope and holiness, but he gives us another safeguard in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And it's almost like he swings the pendulum from all the way over here at hope that tends to be so optimistic and forward-thinking and filled with expectation, and he swings it all the way over, Brother Joe, to the other side, and he gives us this last command about how we can position ourselves to be holy before God. He says in verse 17, conduct yourselves in fear throughout the time of your exile. I want to read that verse in a couple other translations because, like I said earlier, these, are, these sentences tend to run on, and we can get lost in them, and there's a lot of words. And I want us to really pick up on 
on this one in particular, because this one, out of everything we've talked about so far, as we're familiar with hope, and we're even familiar somewhat with holiness, but as we get further into this passage, it becomes more strange and foreign to us, and now we find ourselves at the place where we're talking about the fear of God. The fear of God is very lacking in the day that we live in today. Even among the saints of God, we do not have a full appreciation of what it is to fear God. The New Living Translation of this scripture says this, Remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. That ought to, that ought to shake us up a little bit. Even among his sons and daughters, he has no favorites. Notice, there's no qualification there. He, Peter's writing to the church. And he's reminding them, I don't care what kind of experience you've had with God or how long you've been in it, God doesn't have favorites. He will not judge. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. According to what you believe. According to what you profess. According to what you post online, according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Fear of God is one of the safeguards of holiness. It keeps you in position. So that the trials and afflictions of this world and the things you don't understand and the way that this world is broken and you come under attack. So that those things, instead of destroying you, will refine you and grow you. Fear of God is not a negative fear. Hear me this morning. Fear of God is not the same thing as a spirit of fear that paralyzes and debilit it's debilitating and, and it's negative and it's from the adversary. Fear of God is not like that. Fear of God is a deep and holy reverence for God. It's when we stand in awe of God, when you have a profound respect for God. It's the thing, the fear of God is the thing that reminds you that Jesus is God and you aren't. When we lose the fear of God, you start slipping toward believing and blurring the lines that maybe I'm, maybe I'm something special. But when you have a biblically healthy fear of God in your life, Brothers and sisters, there's nothing like the fear of God to keep the lines clear. Nothing keeps the lines clear in your life like a healthy fear of the Lord. God's not like us. One author one time described him and said, he's not tame. He's not domesticated. He's not like us. When we fear God and we get a real sense, when you start to really meditate on, what, on who God is and what he is like and his intense, blazing holiness, 
you can't help but have a response of stepping back and saying, whoa, the ground that I stand on is holy ground. You can't help but do what the Apostle John did when he came into contact with some of the holy things in the book of Revelation and immediately, without any thought, without even trying to decide what to do, John immediately just started to crumple underneath the weight of everything. And before he knew it, he was laying flat on the ground because he had such an awareness of who God was, and he had such a healthy fear of the Lord that when he came into the presence of God, he couldn't be casual anymore. He couldn't sit along the sides and drift off to a sideline somewhere and have it and do a different thing when the Spirit of God was moving because he had such a reverence for God and the things of God. I think that the prophet Isaiah captured it In Isaiah chapter 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know what he said to Job when Job decided to start questioning God and Job for a moment lost sight of his fear of the Lord, God swept in and God finally spoke in those latter chapters of Job. And he said, Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I spoke the world into existence, Job? Job, where were you at when I talked to the water and I said, you come this far and no further? Sometimes we have to have a healthy reminder, and sometimes the only thing that should be necessary to draw us to a place of response in prayer is just the knowledge of the holy things of God. We shouldn't have to be prompted, we shouldn't have to be goaded or cheered on, but we should simply just be able to get a fresh revelation of who God is and who we are before Him. Hope is, hope is happy and filled with expectation. Hope tends to be optimistic, but fear, that other safeguard, that other thing that will help us position ourselves so that we can make it in these days that we're living in. Fear of God is about a trembling and a deep respect for the things of God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, says, By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. That's hope. Things not yet seen. Noah being divinely warned about things not seen. Moved with godly fear. You know, in Genesis, before Noah ever started building an ark, before God ever gave him the design for an ark, the scripture says that God looked down on Noah 
and Noah found favor with God. Noah was doing it right. Among everybody else in the earth, one man stood who was doing it right, who was holy, and it was Noah. And before God ever gave Noah the blueprint for the ark, God already acknowledged that something was going on in Noah's life. Before Noah ever knew that he needed hope, before Noah ever knew that he needed to move with godly fear, God had already looked down on Noah and said, I'm going to save him. I'm going to do something in Noah's life. Noah had already found favor with God. But hope wasn't going to be enough. Noah looking ahead and knowing that God had a plan wasn't going to be enough to position him to be saved in his generation. He had to have hope. He had to look ahead and see the plan of God and believe that what God said he was going to do, he was able to do. But the scripture says that Noah moved with godly fear. And he started to cut down trees. And he started to cut them into planks. And for 120 years, Noah built that ark. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The fear, let me say it another way. The fear of the Lord will give you the direction you need to be holy and to be saved in an untoward generation. If you'd all stand with me this morning, and as you stand, I wonder if we could all come up around the front of this building this morning.